This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fans podcast. We are ready for the ACC schedule to begin. Yes, we today. are. Against BC in Cameron Indoor Stadium, 6 p.m. We got a lot to cover. We got a special guest for you guys this week. A, I, th- I believe it's our first repeat guest on the Five yeah. Point Play Podcast. So we're looking forward to bringing a good buddy of ours on. But let's get right to it. Uh, we had two games since we last uh, were with you guys. Walford, uh, the Terriers, who we thank them for their service of beating UNC <laughs> in Carmichael. Right. Uh, we were able to not overlook them and, and really put a beating on them uh, before Christmas, uh, 86 to 57. The news here really is that Trey Jones uh, unexpectedly is out uh, with a mild foot sprain. They're saying he should be fine. They came out and said that if it was a, a big game, he would have been fine to play. You had an interesting take with the Trey Jones injury. You said that maybe yeah. there might have been some other things at play there that uh, I'd like you to share with our audience. Sure, sure. No, that's so – I mean, that that struck me. The the sudden let's sit him down and then the coach speak of if this was an ACC game. He didn't even say a tournament game an ACC tournament game, a March Madness game, a Final Four game. He didn't say any of that. He said if it was an ACC game, meaning we could have played UNC, we could have played Louisville, or we could have played you know, Wake Forest. He, he would have played the game. But it's it's Wofford and, and even Brown afterwards, subsequently, and he didn't play. Like So it's, to me, that all that says is, first, let's get a guy some rest who might be dealing with you know a minor issue of pain or something else. Usually it's pain where – you see these guys sitting down. So, you know, let's let's rest him a little bit because there's some pain there. And then the second part of that equation was, let's see what the rest of the team can do without their leader. Because Trey is clearly the leader. He's clearly the guy who gets things started. We've, you know, there's there's been games here or there where we've looked great. And there's games here that we've looked sloppy. Let's see what kind of team we really have without him on the floor because last year the team, you know, outside of having Zion and RJ, which is, that's, you know, that's a great equalizer. They were, you know, pretty unprepared to to play without him. You know, when he went down after Syracuse, we had the great game against UVA, but then after that, you know, the team didn't look, they didn't, they weren't the same after his injury last year and he wasn't the same either. So this was a good chance to see what the team has without him. So you know, I, I like the move if he was dealing with any kind of injury issue at all. I like the move. I, I don't think I'm not sitting here being a conspiracy theorist saying he wasn't hurt. It was just Kay saying, we're going to sit you down to see what's going on. I think he I think they were resting some injury there and letting him that gave him basically three weeks to rest before he plays his next game. And I, I like the move, man. I like it. I like it a lot. I like giving the other guys a chance to kind of work it out without him on the floor. Well, speaking of other guys, two guys in particular, Jordan Goldwire got to start. You figured that would happen. He was extremely efficient. He played 28 minutes, had five assists, no turnovers, played poised, very under control. The more you see the kid play, the the, the more impressed you kind of become with him, uh, mostly because when he signed, obviously, we talked about this, that he was kind of a, a last-minute recruit. Uh, that we've kind of just jumped on and we liked his body and his a- athletic ability, but he was going to be essentially, you know, kind of a glorified practice player. And and he's absolutely blown any expectation that I've had of him, but he's played really well in the two games that 
he's had to start and be that that coach on the floor for Coach K. What have you seen from him? And then the second guy we'll talk about is obviously Joey Baker. Huge game, 22 points, coming up big from three, and just having a for him a career night uh, in Cameron. That was that was a lot of fun to see. I loved what I saw from Jordan and what I've continued to see from Jordan this season. He's just it, the the confidence and poise are both there. Whereas the last couple of years, he, he didn't have either one of those things. He played well in spots, but this year he's been consistently poised. He's played consistently well. And yeah, he's absolutely outlived the three star. Maybe by the time he's a senior, he can get a little bit of playing time type of moniker that was thrown on him. I, the, the guy's contributing for sure. And I think the first comparison a lot of people made when we picked him up in the beginning was Tyler Thornton. I think he's at this point, I, I think he's Tyler played a lot more than, you know, as a whole so far than Jordan's been able to. But in my opinion, Jordan has surpassed what Tyler Thornton gave to. He just, he really has. And yes, I know he hit the big shots against Kansas and the invitational and everything else, but I, I just, I really do see, some nice things ahead for Jordan Goldwire the rest of the season and into next season that he's a different player than Tyler. He's, he's more athletic, better defender, better shooter. Like he just, there's, he does things better on the court than Tyler Thornton ever did. And I, I really like what he's given this team. It, it's been great. Speaking on Joey, it's, it's just continuing. Like he looks so comfortable on the floor. I'm not even going to focus on him hitting the shots and everything else like that. He's, he just looks very comfortable on the floor on both sides of the ball, defense and offense. Defense was the place I was really worried about him. And he's serviceable on that end, man. He's he's not going to guard anybody's best player, but he, he uses decent footwork to stay in front of guys. He has long arms, so he's been able to alter some shots. And, you know, he's he's helping out on, on the rebounding end by, if you watch him off ball, he, he uses body well to, to shield off potential rebounders from the outside. It's been great. Like, so even though he's not, picking up a lot of rebounds he's responsible for guys getting a lot of rebounds just because of his activity so i really like what joey has been doing on both sides of the ball for his team he looks so much more comfortable to me man yeah he he and the team really played a lot cleaner of the game against walford than i expected uh, especially you know coming off a long break after exams plus not having your floor leader out there they they really didn't play sloppy at all. The defense ruled the day. They uh, shot 40% from three, uh, eight of 20. Uh, Vernon Carey, we haven't even talked about him yet. He had 20 and 10 in only 23 minutes. He was eight of 11 from the field. That guy is quickly becoming, he was the ACC freshman of the week again for the third time. Yep. And that that's actually notable because, you know, the only other guys that have done that were, Zion Williamson, uh, Jaleel Okafor, Marvin Bagley, and I think Jason Tatum might have done it twice, maybe three, but yeah, I think you're right. th- that's some rarefied error. We haven't even gotten into the bulk of the ACC schedule yet, so you know he's going to have some more. Uh, but real quick before we wrap up the Walter segment, talk about Vernon Carey and, and what he's able to do in just 23 minutes. I mean, that was not a great matchup for him. You're right. It wasn't a great matchup, and we've seen it already a couple times this season where we played smaller teams, and the struggles he had, the struggles he had against Virginia Tech, defensively, the struggles he had with Georgia State. So that was, it was refreshing to be able to see him stay on the floor against a small team that, you know, really did try to get the ball 
off the bounce a little bit. They just couldn't do it because the perimeter defense was so good. Even without Trey, they, you know, they, they just looked really good on the, on the D on the perimeter side and Vernon was able to help and, and get in help on, on the defensive end. So then, you know, once that end of the floor is taken care of, you know, he's going to do his work on the offensive side of the ball. He's just so efficient. And I'm, I don't want to get complacent with how good he is this season because every game he's just, he's just incredible. Just so poised his stoicism on the floor. He doesn't, he really doesn't play with a lot of emotion. He just, he's very steady throughout the game. He doesn't let things bother him. He's just, he's very mature for, for a guy so young in the post, like post players aren't typically that mature. And I mean, we last saw it really with, with John, you can even say Marvin Bagley to that degree. It's just, he's, he's in that, that group of those, those bigs. And that's just, it's a, a good place to be. So it was a good win. It was a great way for us to kind of go into that Christmas break and, you know, have, have some, some good mojo um, heading heading into the holiday. Coming out afterwards, switching gears, we had the Brown game. We won seventy-five to fifty, but it was as expected. You know, you played two games in twenty-two days. You're coming off Christmas break. All the guys weren't able to go home for a few days, be with their families. You only had two practices. Still no tray. Uh, understandably, very sloppy first you know, 25 minutes or so before we were able to, to kind of kick it up. But the one constant was our defense. Our defense was really, it was, was pretty fantastic overall and, and it's becoming the hallmark for this team. What did you see? The defense absolutely was the first thing that I noticed. And it was, it was a thing I noticed against, against Wofford. Wofford is a, an efficient offensive team. And you saw, you saw that against UNC. And and against Wofford, the defense looked great. I, I was hoping that it would continue against a Brown team that can actually put up some points. They have some decent individual players. I just wanted to see how we would handle it. And early on, they got a couple shots that they wanted to get, but really the team settled in. Like that was that's the one thing I love about this team is no matter how hot the other team starts or whatever else, this team settles in. They really do settle in. They make small adjustments. They don't make gimmick adjustments. They just say, okay, you know, we need to put somebody on him, shut him down, and let's make this work. And then, like, there's no gimmicks. There's no double and triple teaming. There's no pack line defense. None of that, man. It, it's not a gimmicky defense, and that's the thing I love the most about this team. It is straight up a good defensive athletic team that we have, and that is an absolute key to advancing in the NCAA tournament in March. You know, despite the scoring and everything else like that, if you can't stop the other team in key spots from getting their buckets, then you're just, you're stuck. And this team absolutely can do that. And I just, I love seeing it. And like you mentioned, without Trey, I love seeing it without Trey on the floor. We ha- we have guys that will still be able to defend the perimeter. And then when he comes back, that only just makes it that much better, man. You know, on the negative side, we obviously had our first non-conference loss in, you know, 20 years happened this season. We nearly had, and I was right. worried about it for a long time, we nearly had another three broken where it was going to be the first game where we didn't hit a three in years. Um, luckily, yeah. Alex broke, luckily, Alex broke that trend. We were only 2-16 from, from deep in the game. Understandable, again, you know, you're coming off a long break. But again, you know, it's, it's, it's that Alex. It's, I, I just can't figure out the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing here with, with Alex O'Connell. He sees one go in, and then it's mm-hmm. off to the races. He has 14 points, four rebounds, two of four mm-hmm. from three. Misses his first five or six shots. I just I have no idea what I'm getting with this guy. 
what Alex O'Connell am I getting from game to game? It's going to be interesting to see because without Trey on the floor, he's going to get more time, obviously. So that's that's one thing. When Trey comes back, his minutes are going to be limited because everybody's playing well. Cassius is back and healthy, and he he looked Cassius looked confident uh, in the game against Brown early on. He looked he didn't look like he did before when he first came back. You know, kind of tentative and all that against uh, Virginia Tech. He looked very confident this time. So I, I I liked seeing that Cassius, but Alex, you're right. It's it's it really is Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. He's not the type of player who is just so if that he can come in for 10 or 15 minutes and give you eight points. He, he needs it almost, it's almost like he needs 20 minutes on the floor. I want to see his development the rest of the season, because it's going to be hard to, to put him in over Joey, put him in over Cassius to put him in over Wendell at any point in the game, but you do need him in the game at points to stress the floor. So will he just be a, glorified floor stretcher or will he actually be someone who's going to contribute i thought when he hit those shots against vt that that was going to be something that kind of turned the light on for him and and, this, yeah. and i'm acting like he was had a horrible game he shot two for four from three he had a, a pretty efficient game 14 points against brown but he just he needs he needs more time than i think he's going to get in order to get those shots and that's that's the one thing i want to see him change is I want to see him maximize his time on the floor. And and I think that's what Kate wants to see out of him too. He just he has to maximize that. You know, talk about maximizing your time. That's certainly what Joey Baker has been able to do. You know, he's uh mm-hmm. second least minutes per game of the ten rotation minutes. The lowest being your boy Javin DeWarrior. <laughs> but, you know, what Joey's been able to do consistently throughout the year is maximize the opportunities that he's been given. We're talking about maximizing player talent. It's really interesting. I wanted to ask you this question. You brought it up. You mentioned Javin is getting the least amount of minutes of any rotation player. However, the past few games, he's actually played pretty efficient. Do you think him playing less time, and we've brought this up before, him playing less time has been good for him and the team? Do you think he's taking advantage of that well? Well, I think that it is certainly no coincidence. Um, In addition, he, he yeah, I think all the pressure is off him now. You know, he he's mm-hmm. not a guy that is going to be expected to. I think that, I think, for him coming into the season, especially after coming off a off season where he went to go get feedback from M- NBA executives and and what to do with his body, his game, and all these different things. Uh, maybe he has some lofty expectations of of who he was going to be. And that's fine, um, but they were clearly they were clearly false hope, and I think that he he can just now go back to being who who he needs to be, and that is again a voice on the floor, five fouls when we need them, you know another body to to help uh, relieve Vernon Carey and get him some minutes uh, on the bench to to catch his breath. That's that's who that he he can be a locker room guy. That's who it is. So, yeah, he played, what, 17 minutes and 12 minutes, respectively, in the yep. two games that we've had. So, no, I think that's about right. I think I don't want to see any more than 17 minutes out of him. But he, to his credit, he has played efficiently. He has cut down on the stupid, you know, the stupid plays. Uh, he's he's knocking down shots and only taking the ones that, that are right for him, the last Thomas shots that I call him, you know, you get the rebound and if, you, if, if you're right there, you put it right back up and that's it. Otherwise, yep. you get, get rid of the ball. 
I think that the Javin has a long career ahead of him playing professional basketball. It's just not going to be in the NBA. But that there's nothing right. wrong with that. You know, he's not the first or the last guy that, that you say that about. But for this particular team, yeah, you're right. You know, his minutes need to be where they are, 13.8. That's about right for him. And I think that that's going to continue because we are so versatile. That, you know, we, we don't need him to be any more than, than he is. And again, we've said this in past podcasts, from my feeling, from my money, Jack White is just a better version of what Javin should be. And that's why Jack White gets yep. more minutes. That's why Jack White gets more starts. That's why Coach K trusts Jack White a lot more. And one play before we wrap this one up that I really loved was in the first half, offensive rebound, Jack White underneath, gets the ball up and in for an N1. He brought some energy. You know, you're coming off of a long break. We've talked about that so much that you need a senior leader to make that type of energy play. You know, the, the scream, you know, it was it was against Brown. It's so easy to take them for granted, but you need that senior leader to do do that, and that's why I love having Jack White uh, on the floor. Either way, good win. We got both wins that we needed. We have a lot of momentum. Trey Jones will be back unless something crazy happens on Tuesday night, uh, 6 p.m. against B.C., but let's switch gears to our favorite segment, the overreaction segment. And we got a, we got a couple of doozies for for you guys. Um, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the on the hot seat here, AC. Uh, uh. Last last podcast, you made the declaration that Trey Jones was the most important player in the country for his team and for mm-hmm. what he brings. Well, as fate would have it, we actually were able to see what Duke looked like for two games without Trey Jones against Walford and against Brown. We were more or less pretty efficient in both of those games, uh, defensively for sure, and uh, offensively against Walford, we looked great. Uh, we were a little sluggish to start, but overall, very comfortable wins without him. Was your statement last week that he is the most important player in the country, an overreaction, or are you going to allow it and stand by that statement from last week? Ooh, yeah. Ah, man, this is tough. Like, I really, I really want to allow it, but I'm starting to feel like Vernon is the guy. Like, I I think I'm, I think I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go with overreaction on this one. I really am. You're going to say the AC overreacted last week. That was an overreaction. Yeah, I am. I am. I overreacted to, I overreacted to the Virginia Tech win. I I loved what Kay did taking Vernon off the floor in that instance and playing small ball and we won the game without Vernon on the floor. But I don't think I don't think we can really make a habit of that. With Trey, we we played efficient against Brown, we played efficient against Wofford. We limited turnovers when we had eight turnovers as a team against Wofford and eleven, you know, with uh, against Brown. And that's without Trey, who has turned the ball over a little bit. I mean, he handles the ball so much and does so much on the floor. He has turned the ball over at times this season. So I'm not, I'm not saying he's the problem for our turnover creation, but he, we, do, we do see more turnovers with him you know, than these two games. Plus, let's talk about we're dealing with Wofford and Brown. Yes, when they're not, they aren't the best teams on the planet. And yeah, so it's, 
it could be a little bit of an overreaction to say that him being out and us playing efficient is you know a testament to how good this team is with or without Trey. But this team is good with or without Trey because they do have so many parts or pieces. The one thing we, we have a, we have a guy in Jordan Goldwire who can serviceably play, serviceably play point guard. We have a guy who could back him up and win them more if needed. We have other guys on the floor who can help carry that load a little bit. The one thing we don't have is a dominant inside presence outside of Vernon Carey. Matt Hurt's not there yet. Javin and Jack, they can't combine to give us what Vernon gives us. And I, I really do, I really do think, you know, we, I think Duke has the most important player in the nation. Don't get me wrong. I just think that I really do think it's Vernon Carey, not Trey. I, I think Trey would be probably number two behind Vernon. You can't have, can't have two most important players, but I, I really do think that Vernon, Ver, Vernon is the guy right now that makes this team roll. And if you look at, the the 2014-2015 edition of Duke, Tyus and Jaleel Okafor. You could say in one point in the season, Jaleel was hands down the most important player, and you could say at one point in the season, Tyus was the most important player on that team. You could probably say Justice was the most important player at one point in that team. But with Tyus and Justice, I don't think either one of those guys get some of the opportunities they get without the attention that was being brought on Jaleel Okafor because he demands so much attention. So now everyone else can just play a little bit more relaxed because their guy might be helping down, might be doubling, whatever else. That allows you to have a little more freedom in, in your game. And I think that's what Vernon offers this team. So I'm going to say it's an overreaction on my part. We've talked about so many times Joey's role on this team. He got his first start against Brown. He didn't look great. Is it an overreaction, or will you allow it, to say that Joey Baker should never start again this season? I'm absolutely going to allow it. I'll allow it. Uh, Joey, hands down, earned the right to start that game against Brown. He was jacked up for that start. I get it. It was his first career start. And for this year, that should be it. That should be his last start. (laughs) It has nothing to do with anything other than what Joey was bringing to the team and what was best for him. The role mm-hmm. that he has carved out for himself, being the energy, lethal shooter, scorer off the bench, is the absolute perfect role for this team and for him. Coach K, I, I, God bless him, he did exactly what he should have done. He gave Joey the start, see what he had there, and realized pretty quickly that's not the role for Joey right now. That doesn't mean that you know his junior and senior year that he won't be an all-ACC guy, I think that he has that kind of potential and that he, he'll start every game in the next two years. He could. That that wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me at all. Nothing Joey Baker does at this point surprises me because he has been <laughs> excellent. He's been absolutely mm-hmm. excellent. So I, you know, I think we, we tested that out. It was perfectly as Brown. That's great. Let's move him right back into where he's comfortable and where the team is comfortable. Trey Jones will be back. I I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, I think you have to continue to either have trust in that Alex can can turn the corner and, and, and shoot well and doesn't need five shots to miss before one goes in. Uh or or you know what? Do what we said at the beginning of the season, go with the four freshmen or or take Matt Hurt out and go with Jack White. We have so many different options, so much versatility. But it's not Joey Baker um, that we need in the starting lineup because he has an absolutely perfect 
niche role that he's carved out for himself that he's earned and that he's fantastic at. Let's get, get him comfortable, and we're going to see it against BC. He won't start against BC. And, we're, you know, Coach K even said it after the Brown game that Joey had starter's disease, and it started the day before in practice yep. where he missed every single shot <laughs> that he took in practice the day before. Okay. Clearly, it affected his mindset, and, and, and Coach K is a master at that, right? So, you know, he, he mm-hmm. didn't pull Joey from, from starting. He said, okay, Joey, we're going to start you. She, she was out there, and, and it was starter's disease. I get it. I understand yep. the mindset that, that was there. And so, no, for, from that standpoint, no, Joey should not start, and it's, it's definitely not an overreaction. Now, moving on, there was a piece last week by John Rothstein, um, very well-known sports writer, basketball columnist. He had a piece mm-hmm. out that with Cole Anthony out for an extended period of time for UNC, that Isaiah Stewart, a guy that we recruited, uh, a guy that many of us you know, preferred over Vernon Carey, uh, for being completely honest with ourselves, mm-hmm. we talked yep. about, or John talked about the fact that with Cole Anthony out, that Isaiah Stewart is poised to become the most productive, impactful, and important freshman in the country. Is that an overreaction or are you going to allow it? Important, it's an overreaction. Impactful and or productive, I will actually allow that statement. I'll allow it. I get what he's saying and here's why. You have a team in Washington that plays in the Pac-12, which is a an abysmal basketball conference right now. And Washington is a team that's poised to be a top 15, maybe even at some point a top 10 type of team. They have Isaiah Stewart, they have Jaden McDaniels, they have Nazia Carter, and they have Quade Green, and that's about it. They have four guys that really carry the the bulk of that team, and really, that's it. They carry that squad, man, and I do think Isaiah Stewart's going to have some nice stats to continue the season because the guy's playing for a draft spot. But is he better than Vernon Carey, or is he more important than Vernon Carey? Absolutely not, in my opinion. No, no. Vernon, the way he stretches the floor, the way he rebounds, the way he's playing defense even right now, and as efficient as he is on offense, I, I don't think that's the case at all. And while Isaiah Stewart is a nice story and what he's doing is nice over there for Washington, Vernon's doing it against competition. Washington is 42nd in strength of schedule right now. Duke is second. Better competition, better team, and a team that's going to go farther in the tournament, in my opinion. There's there's nobody more important than Vernon Carey, as I mentioned before. And while Isaiah Stewart is is going to put up Vernon-type stats, give me Vernon all day long. I was one of those guys who, recruitment-wise, loved Isaiah Stewart, and I'm I'm really happy we have Vernon. So, sure, I'll allow that he's going to be one of, if not the most productive freshman in the country, but Vernon is still, he's still the guy. He's the most important guy in the country, and he's going to be a first-team All-American and maybe even player of the year by the time this thing is over and done with. So, all right, let's see. You heard it here first. You heard it here first in December, folks. So I want to finish this thing off, man. I want to ask you, we've seen, we've seen the, the dreaded number one curse all season. It looks like Gonzaga has settled into that number one spot. Are they going to be the number one team the rest of the season? Is that an overreaction to say that, or is the, or will you allow that? No, I'm going to keep the trend going here. It is not an overreaction at all. Just look at their schedule. I'll allow it. 
they don't play another ranked team the rest of the season. Uh, you know, credit to credit to, to Mark Few. He he went at Texas A&M. He had no idea that Texas A&M would be that pitiful. Uh, in in you know when he spends mm-hmm. with the, the non-conference years ago, they played in their holiday tournament. They squeaked out an overtime win against Oregon. They got the doors blown off of, the, uh, of them by uh, Michigan. They, you know, had UNC scheduled and UNC stinks. Uh, they went at Washington, played a good game, squeaked that one out. Same with uh, Arizona. So you can't sit there and say that they didn't go and play tough competition or at least right. schedule it, right? So that you can't say anything negative about them. They're 13 sure. and one. They're the number one team in the country. You know, they always somehow seem to maybe get a tough game from St. Mary's. They'll play them a couple of times and then what at BYU at the end of the year. I don't see them losing again. Right. So, nope. no, I think that they'll be 30 and one heading into their postseason tournament. And they'll, they'll actually hold on to the number one team uh, ranking the rest of the way. Uh, but then again, like you've seen the, to, to this point in the year, uh, you know, so many different number one teams, ourselves included, have lost in inexplicable fashion uh, that, you know, you, you can't really even point to it uh, to a reason other than it's just that kind of year. <laughs> so I, I don't see it happening though right. with Gonzaga. So no, it's not an overreaction. With that, for the second time, our first ever two-time guest on the Five Point Play podcast. You, you might know him from the Devil's Illustrated Rivals message boards. A the moderator. He is the moderator. <laughs> Jay, uh, Jeremy, up in the cold, cold Midwest in Minnesota. <laughs> Are you staying warm, DJ? Uh, you know, I'm trying to. It, it's actually, it, it's been a little bit mild so far up here, so knock on wood. But, you know, I'm going to be getting south uh, a few times over the course of the next few months to play some golf and just to get out of here. But it's not bad, you know, and I actually, I knew you guys were going to have me because I got a hard time last time because, oh, listen to that Midwestern accent. So I was working <laughs> on a Southern accent all week, but I just no way. to trap that and just go with it, yeah. Thanks for having me back. This is awesome. You guys do a great job, and uh, I'm, I'm honored to be back on uh, the, the podcast with you guys. Yeah, well, we, nah, we tried to get yeah. Jay Billis, but he wasn't available, so uh, we're glad that you could. Some that people think that I'm him, so you never know. You might, <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, you yeah, do have him. <laughs> I, I, don't think, I don't think Jay could uh, uh, pull off the Midwest accent as, as well as you yeah. could. But, you know, we had a lot of time off from, from games. You know, we only played two games in 22 days. And so over over that course, a lot of times fans will get pretty restless and, and there's going to be a lot of hot takes. And one that I've actually noticed, uh, and I don't even want to call it a hot take because ever since we lost last year in the Elite Eight, there's been a lot of Zion Hanover. We've talked about Zion Hanover not only for Duke fans, but for college basketball in general. But I've actually noticed uh, quite a bit that there are a lot of Duke fans, my brother being one of them, actually. But he was even telling me the other day that, you know, it's hard for him to get up for games. You know, after last year, we didn't get to the Final Four, certainly didn't cut down the nuts in in Minneapolis. But it it kind of rubs me the wrong way. And I want to get your take because you're on the boards all the time. And you see you interact with a lot of different types of Duke fans. What is your take on the quote-unquote Zion Hanover? And, you know, as a fan, 
you know, not being able to get up for, you know, the, the regular season games as much because you do put so much stock in what happens in the NCAA tournament. Well, you know, first off, I think the Zion hangover, that I think it's very real. Now, I don't think that that makes anyone less of a fan. I've got just as excited. I mean, I, I love Duke basketball like you guys. And, you know, I, I, I kind of live and die with, with everything that goes. And I'll admit, last end of March last year, that one, that's a Duke loss that hit me probably the hardest since 2006 when J.J. Uh, mm-hmm. lost his senior year to LSU. I mean, that one really beat me down where I had to kind of like self-evaluate. <laughs> like, am I maybe just into this a little bit too much? And it was kind of like that last year. So I, I definitely think that there, there's a Zion hangover because, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but it just last year just felt right. It felt like it was our year, and there was just that disappointment. And now you come back eight months later, there is no Zion, there is no RJ, and there just hasn't been. And, and I think in general, college basketball is a little bit down. You know, we've seen, what, six six different number ones over the course of the first eight weeks of the season, which is just ridiculous. So I, I think the Zion hangover is very real, and I, and I get that some Duke fans – might have that a little bit. And, you know, that's one that's like that LSU game. It's always going to be, you know, these what ifs. And, you know, I, I think the three of us have talked before about that, you know, that, that wing three that JJ had, that if it goes down, we're up eight with 10 minutes left, he misses it. It's a long rebound and LSU's athletes get out in the run and comp- changes the complexion of the games. And, you know, I, I think I could have just about my heart just went to the pit of my stomach when it was a Kenny Goins or whatever his name was, when he hit that three at the top of the key. And I'm just like, Oh my God, this might not happen. So no, I, I think it's real, but I'm, you know, we've got a pretty good team and we've got a team that unfortunately I think is probably going to have some nights where they're not going to look like a very good team. I mean, we saw it recently against Brown, obviously nobody's forgot Stephen F. Austin, um, this is a team that's going to be learning throughout the season. You know, last year we were clearly um, one of the three best teams in the country. I still think we were the best team in the country, but that's the beauty of college basketball. It doesn't always work out like that. And this year, say we get a number one seed, can we string together five straight games? Yeah, I think we can, but it's not easy. We've had a lot better teams that haven't been able to do it or a lot better teams on paper. So, it's scary. I get that. I don't think that it's necessarily Duke fans saying that they can't get up for games. I still think there's there's that disappointment from last year that, you know what I'm saying? If we couldn't do it last year, how are we going to do it this year? Yep. And before we move on, just one quick follow-up to that whole, to that statement, because we hear it all the time in the media. We hear even fans say say it. This is like a classic Coach K team. This is like a Duke team of old. Even even Kay has alluded to that, especially with the the throwback jerseys and things that we're kind of wearing. Fans say they didn't like the one-and-done era, and now we have a team with veterans and some multi-year type players, things like that. Why, why do you think now this this team is not as exciting of a team to play fans, especially being a team that throws back to the old sentimental Duke favorites? Well, I think last year we knew who we were. Right, we mm-hmm. were we were Zion and RJ, and game to game, we're different this year. I mean, we're we're still mm-hmm. let's be honest, we're Trey Jones. We know that, mm-hmm. and, and Trey's going to be our leader. He's the guy. I mean, 
I, the hangover would be in serious effect if Trey had decided, you know, he wasn't going to come back. Oh now, God, does yeah. that change things? And do we get RJ Hampton? Sure, we might. But I, I still think it would be more. So I, I think there's there, there's some of that. But, hey, it's it's the end of, quote, unquote, preseason. You know, I know every team's got an ACC game or two in. But, you know, things yeah. officially get started next weekend or this right. week for us, I guess, with BC – Time to put your big boy pants on now. Support these guys. They're a really good team, but just understand that there, there's going to be some learning curves. There's going to be nights, you know, one of the big topics on the boards last, well, why isn't Joey Baker starting? Well, you know, you heard Coach K's press conference yesterday. You got yeah. starting, starter's disease or whatever he called it. And, <laughs> you know, let these guys do their thing. K knows best. He knows what he's doing. He's around these guys every day. You know, he's handling these guys. We're just fans that we get to see four hours a week in two games. That's all we uh-huh. get to see. He's around these guys. And enjoy the season. And old Mike, Mike Tice, uh, you know, Minnesota Vikings reference that I always that I always have. You know, just enjoy the season. Uh, let things play out as they will. There's going to be some There's going to be some tough parts. But I think last year with the injuries, we didn't get to see the continuum throughout the season. We didn't get to see Duke getting better and better and better. Uh, mm-hmm. This team, I think that there's a good chance that we're, we're going to get an opportunity to see that. Now that doesn't mean that in the middle of February, we might just ship the bad ones and not have a right. good day. You know, right. that's just, uh, that that's part of, part of this era of college basketball. And I think the other thing, I don't want to say you'd be encouraged by it, but you know, I mentioned six, different top teams in the first eight weeks of the season tells you a lot. There's a lot of parody in college basketball. Mm-hmm. And uh, so why not us? Yeah. And, and speaking of everything's in front of us this year, you know, our ACC schedule as it sets up, I don't think we've ever seen an ACC schedule more favorable to a Duke team than the one we have in front of us. So I want to kind of shift gears to hearing from both of you, uh, and I'll share mine as well, our predictions for the ACC regular season here. Obviously, we already have uh, one of our games under our belt at VTech. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Hunky. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I do want to hear, uh, DJ, I want to hear your thoughts on the setup of the ACC schedule. We have Louisville at home. It's the only time we have to play them. It's kind of like no excuses here. We haven't won the ACC regular season in years. This is a chance for us to hopefully get that monkey off our back with, with the classic Duke team that really does know 10 deep. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like you said, it, it does set up and it's just, uh, we were talking a little bit, you know, before we started about how every year you go into it, because we've heard this in the past, well, the ACC might not be as good this year as what they've been in the past. But, and, and I told you guys, I, you know, usually there's two or three teams that kind of step up and surprise you a little bit in the preseason, and all of a sudden you look, yep, this is a this is a deeper league. This is a, a seven, eight, maybe nine bid uh, league. It's not the case right now. I mean, you you look at you know, and again, it's preseason, but you look at some of the bracketology thing. A lot of the experts, you know, it's four, five, maybe at the outlier you see six teams. And, you know, you mentioned we get uh, Louisville coming to our place. That's the only time we play. We get uh, Florida State coming to our place. It's the only time we play. You know, we, mm-hmm. we go to Virginia. Um, we always struggle a little bit, you know, at, at State uh, over in Raleigh. And I think that that, you know, I think that their guards 
present a, you know, a challenge, but yeah, on paper, this, you know, our schedule on paper two years ago, uh, Grayson's senior year was pretty favorable too, but that mm-hmm. was the team as, as we know that they, they didn't have the best cohesion They're you know, they, they sometimes forgot how to play defense and, mm-hmm. and it was very frustrating. We came within, you know, one missed three pointer of, of being in the final four. So, you know, this definitely sets up because this is not a top heavy uh, ACC league. This is a, this is a bottom heavy ACC league. And, you know, now when you look at Cole Anthony going down at UNC and, and just kind of how they've meshed this year, they, they've had some problems. Uh, Virginia hasn't looked like, you know, their, their regular Virginia self. Now, obviously they lost many key parts uh, from last year, but you know, and, and FSU is always kind of that team that you just don't really know about. So I think that it, it, it's very fair to say this is, you know, I'd be disappointed if this Duke team doesn't go at least 15 and five. I predicted yeah. 16 and four, but if you told me to try and find four or five losses, I don't know that I could really say which games they're going to be. Cause I think there are probably going to be one or two where, you're going to see Duke message boards blowing up that this team is no good. And if we can't beat them, what, what are we even right. doing this for? Um, just because that's kind of the, the kind of year it is. We've seen every team, every top team, you know, what was it? Ohio state was it yesterday, West Virginia, you know, yeah, so yeah. we've just seen all of these weird, weird things happen. And, you know, Kentucky losing to Evansville. And then the other day, Kentucky, you know, beats Louisville. So it's a weird, weird year. It's going to be wild. Uh, I know we say that every year, but uh, I think this year uh, is no exception. No, I, I absolutely agree with what one thing you mentioned in there was this isn't a top heavy league. It's a bottom heavy league. And in saying that, I don't think, I'm with you. I don't think this is a seven, eight, nine bid team in the in the NCAA tournament, but I do think some of those teams that are going to be at the bottom of the ACC are going to present a lot of upsets uh, this season and, and a lot of challenges from for some of the higher teams. And speaking about Duke, I, I was looking at at Wake, at State, and at Clemson as being you know three of our they're really three of our most difficult road games this year, and they're three places that we have definitely struggled in the past. And those are those are kind of some games that I think I can see us, you know, kind of kind of faltering on a bit because I, I don't see this team losing at home. I really don't uh, the rest of the season. And, and and I really do think the ACC, like we're saying, is just it's just not it's not a great conference up top. The middle is tougher than I thought it would be and the bottom is, is tougher than I thought it would be. But just tougher in the sense of there's not a lot of great college basketball this season and really just not a lot of great players, individual players or teams like they usually are. I, I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, it, it is bottom heavy, but where I think that, you know, where it changes, it's, it's not as top heavy. I mean, I know that, you know, last year when you looked at Duke, you looked at Carolina, you looked at Virginia, they were clearly the class of the ACC. Now I think this year that on paper, Duke and Louisville are clearly the class of the ACC, but I don't know if either one of those two teams are as good or have the potential to be as dominant as the three top teams in the ACC last year. Does that make sense? So that's that's why I think it becomes more possible to see a Duke or a Louisville mess up on their home court or mess up on the road at an NC State, at a Clemson, as you said. I think that it's just a little bit different look this year. It's something we have not seen 
in the ACC for quite some time. And I hope I'm wrong on this because I'd love to see Duke breeze to, you know, 17 and three, 18 and two, 19 and one kind of season. But I just don't know that I see a team good enough in the ACC to run away with it. I think that, I think Duke and Louisville are going to, you know, they're my two predictions, you know, at the top of the conference. I think it's really going to come down to that game on January 18th. Whoever wins that one, I give the edge to right now. And I'm happy that game's on Cameron and and not uh, at the Yum over in Louisville. Yeah, it's actually critical that we actually win that game. Because if you look at the February slate of games, we open up the month of February at Syracuse on the 1st. At D.C. on the 4th. Then we go at UNC on Saturday the 8th. So we have three road games in seven days to start the month of February. I don't care how good those teams are or aren't. That is really tough for any team, let alone a younger team, to go on the road on the ACC three games in seven days. And then right after that, you're coming back on the 10th two days later after playing your arch rival to play uh, Florida State, luckily it's at home. Then you're playing Notre Dame, and then you go at NC State. So, you know, we talked about the fact that, you know, maybe it's not top-heavy from the standpoint that you don't have these powerhouses that we did in the years past, ourselves being one of them. But at the same time, there is so much parity because there really isn't that massive separation in talent at this point. So... There, there are plenty of opportunities for us to potentially look ahead if we're playing, you know, at Syracuse and at BC, looking ahead to that game against Carolina. Uh, we could slip up one of those two games. We could have a letdown, so to speak, against Florida State two days after playing at UNC. I don't know who set the schedule up, but <laughs> that, that's, you know, that little stretch right there, that's a lot of games in a lot of days, most of them on the road. Uh that we could easily slip up. So I'm going to give my prediction. DJ, you just said 15 to five, you know, I, when you I, know look, I, I actually, when I actually, I'm going to say 16 and four. That, that okay. was officially my prediction. I, okay. I, I was questioning that in the Brown game uh, the other day, but uh, uh, go, go ahead. Yeah. No. Okay. So 16 to four, I'm going to take your 15 to five then. I just, you know, I've been hard on this team all year and that has proven to work. Uh, so I'm going to continue to do that. Uh, 15 and five would be, I think, a pretty good overall season. I, I do think that we'll slip up in a, in a couple areas, but I'm going to go 15 and five. AC, what do you, what do you got? I'm going 17 and three with a sweep of UNC, yeah. man. Oh, I just, my. I like it. I think, I think we slip up on the road a few times, especially during that stretch, as you mentioned. And I really do look at that Wake and NC State road game as just two, as two tough games that are easily could slip. But I, I like seventeen and three. I like sweeping UNC, man. And watch out. So you know, one thing that one thing that Duke's always. I mean, you know what Duke hasn't been able to avoid, and the reason that they haven't been able to win, you know, a conference regular season uh, since I believe two thousand ten, since yep. you know John Shire's senior year. Yep. Is they just have this tendency to lose two out of three, mm-hmm. or two out. You know what I mean? And, and yep. they always it, it's stringing them together. But but that's. It's kind of that old – it goes back to even that 15 team, you know, when the going gets tough. I mean, remember going into Louisville mid to late January and nobody yeah. thinking we were right. done, right? Everything yep. was over. It was, it was, it was completely done, and, and they went and played zone, one at, one at Louisville, had another hiccup 
at the end of the month uh, against Notre Dame, and right. all of a sudden, you know, Suleiman gets kicked off the team, and we're going to Virginia. No chance mm-hmm. in hell, right, that we're going to win, yep. and what do we do? Tyus is Tyus, and, you know, guys just have ridiculous nights, and, and you get it. So don't count this team out. There are going to be, you know, there are going to be some tough ones, and, and like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see one of those little stretches where for two weeks we just don't play very well, and mm-hmm. that happens with young teams. You just have to hang in and, and keep believing and trust the process. Well, you know, the Lakers just lost four games in a row, so if they can lose four in a row with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, I think we can give these kids uh, a little breather uh, as well. So uh, I do want to wrap up the, this you know segment with talking about kind of uh, some accolades for the ACC. Uh, AC talked about uh, before you came on, Vernon Carey potentially being, you know, our most important player uh, with Trey Jones. Do you see any hardware coming for Duke in terms of uh, all ACC? I have to imagine that the Trey uh, and Vernon have to be on the first team, but it's, we, we haven't even sniffed the, the ACC season yet. So where do you see everything shaking up? Give us your predictions. Uh, I think I would, I would go Trey more than Vernon. Um, not numbers wise, but, but Trey's just, he's the most important part, uh, of what Duke wants to do this year. And, you know, I, I think if he's not a first team, all AC, all ACC, then I, I think that Duke probably isn't the regular season champion. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. just me going, you know, on a hunch. Um, you know, I, I saw something the other day with some, you know, two months into the season, all American teams and, and Trey was popping up on more than, than Vernon was. So I, I still think Trey's our guy. I think he's the most important um, piece that we have. I think this team, uh, you know, goes, goes with Trey and, and goes on his leadership. And, you know, I, I want to, you know, they're not going to be all ACC guys, but, and, and I know that uh, uh, one of you, I won't say who, but one of you has been rather tough on this guy sometimes too, but, you know, Javin has been pretty good, and I want to I want to temper this again because I don't want to jinx it. But he's been pretty he's been pretty good, and and has kind of known his role. And if you remember last year in March, he was really good too. You know, he he had a couple uh, good ACC tournament games. Uh, you know, he, he played well down the stretch, and 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 I've been on his bandwagon since he's been here. But the other one is Alex, and I was so happy for that kid um, in that Brown game to just kind of see him get it going a little bit, making some mm-hmm. shots. Because if you watched part of you know this year so far, he had wide open shots, and he wanted nothing to do with shooting it. And to me, that's like oh boy, because really, if, yeah. if Alex isn't making shots and being a threat for us, what 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 does he bring to the table? So I think that that was good for his confidence. Hopefully going into conference season, that's good. And and people got to hang in there because you know what? There's going to be nights where Alex is going to play six minutes and Joey's going to play 22 or 23. And then there's going to be nights where Joey might only play eight to 10. Doesn't mean he can't shoot. Doesn't mean Kay doesn't trust him. It just means the matchups or something dictated and Alex might play 20 or 22 minutes. We haven't had, that opportunity the last yep. few years, right? We've, yep. we've got stuck doing some star watching, but we haven't had this ability. And Kay's going to trim his rotation. In a lot of these ACC games, there might only be seven or eight guys playing. 
but it's not going to be the same seven or eight each play, each game. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? You know, some games you might only play three or four minutes, but the next game you might be called on to play 20 and hit shots. So that's, we're definitely a deeper team in that respect this year. And, you know, I, I think the other guy that I could see it happening for, he's looked all ACC at times, but then at times it, it just looks like the bright lights have got to him, but it's Matthew Hurt. And I watched Matthew a lot in high school. There are a few guys that can score the way that guy can score. He's just mm-hmm. got a knack for scoring, whether it's getting to the basket, hitting that jumper. He's not the most athletic guy, but, again, he's got that creativity. He's able to do a lot of different things. And, you know, I think Matt's going to have to get a little bit better. He was really good for a stretch, and all of a sudden he disappeared to where then you saw people talking, well, he might not even play. You know, Matthew's still growing up, too, and that's with a lot of these guys. I mean, mm-hmm. in that game against Brown, Alex and, uh, and Wendell, they were horrible in the first half. We right. probably don't win that game without their play in the second half. So mm-hmm. that's how quick it can change. And you just got to hang in there with these guys and, and be cognizant of those things. Nice. Life lessons from, uh, from Jeremy here. I like it. Yeah. Um, I I think you're right. And uh, you're, you're going to get a a pretty good laugh uh, when you do sit down and listen to this uh, podcast, because we just finished up a segment when uh, I talked about uh, Javon DeLaurier. uh, Oh, I was going to guess. You didn't even let me guess. That's going to be a a fun listen for for you and everybody else. DJ, we want to thank you for coming on again. Yeah, thank you, man, once again. You, you guys do a great job. Um, I think it's it's fun. I, I enjoy listening to you guys. I appreciate you uh, having me on. And uh, go Duke. Let's uh, let's cut down the nets. Let's get number six in April. Awesome. Go Duke. All right. We want All to right. thank uh, we want to thank Dukey J on the Rivals Message Board. We, we thank him for coming on second time here on the podcast. Let's wrap this one up, AC. Next play. We got BC. Yep. Tuesday, New Year's Eve, before you get all liquored up, uh, we're going to get the PC game. What do we got? The, the, the camera crazies won't be there. Uh, 6 p.m. early tip, uh, ACC Network. Tyler, or excuse me, Derek Thornton back in the house. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I think Trey should be back. What, uh, what do you think we got here against PC? Yeah, I, th- I think we win this game. They... They have some guys that are decent. They have they have Derek Thornton, obviously, he's having a decent season for them. Jay Heath is having a good season this year, good shooter. Nick Popovich is playing well on the interior. The Hamilton brothers, we recruited Jarius Hamilton very, very briefly. The kid's a good player, 6'8 player who can stretch the floor. But they just, you know, they're, they're not one of the top teams in the ACC. We should roll away with this one. I'm looking at this one as an 85 to 65 Duke victory, a nice 20 point win in the ACC season to start. It it gets tougher as the season goes on, but this is what this is a good game I think to start with. So 80, I'm going 85. I'm going 85 65. Yeah, I think that the reason that that Brown game was so crucial for us is to shake off whatever cobwebs and rust that we have coming out of Christmas. This is yep. this is a chance for us to say, okay, look, we got everything in front of us. Uh, we don't have the, the toughest ACC schedule that we've had in years past. We have our tough games, as as we talked about just now. Um, uh, you know, Louisville coming to Cameron. Everything's there for the taping. This is Duke's chance. Uh, we haven't won mm-hmm. outright the ACC regular season in a long time. This, this is our chance. Let's set the tone early and often here against BC before we go out and celebrate. 
give me Duke 82 to 61. Very similar score to you. I just think that, yeah. that you know, I, 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 I'm looking forward to seeing Derek Thornton back in camera. And I hope that uh, the crowd gives him a, a warm reception. But yeah. uh, it, it stops there, and uh, it, it picks up as soon as the, the ball tips off. Look for Vernon Carey to have another big night, 22 and 11. Uh, I like it. And, and get Duke, you know, an, another ACC win. Then on Saturday, the 4th, we have in Coral Gables, Miami Hurricanes against Jim Laranega, a team that, you know, he, he prepares very well against Coach K teams. But, you know, we've already had an ACC road game under our belts. It's an opportunity for, for us to to go down there and get another road ACC win with with a young team. They, they got some roster turnover there. They've already played Louisville. Mm-hmm. How do you see them matching up with Duke, though? This is going to be – I think this one's going to be tougher than BC. This is – for Vernon, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. It's like a, a coming home type of game for him. So we'll see we'll see what he does with that opportunity. Miami can throw some sizable defensive players his way. So they have a lot of fouls to throw at Vernon. I want to see how he handles it. I want to see how some of the guys off the ball down in the post handle it, Jack White, Javin Delorier, Matthew Hurt in particular. I want to see how they handle helping Vernon this game because I do think he's gonna need a little assistance because they do have they have some they have some good players in the interior that can at least play some defense. So it's it's he's gonna have a tough one. It's not gonna be as easy as game this season for sure. And we saw against other big bodies in Kansas, we saw how difficult of a matchup that was for Vernon early on. On on the offense on the defensive end for Duke on the perimeter against Miami, Chris Likes is gonna come out firing. You know he's gonna do that. He's he's got that mentality. He's got that little that little yappy dog mentality that he's he's gonna come out against Duke and give him everything he has. So it's really gonna be tough to really hold that kid down. Vasiljevic is a really good shooter, so he can work off of Chris Likes pretty well. And then Cameron Mugusti's having a really good season for them. I, I don't think this one's going to be easy. I don't think we're going to lose, but I do see this one being kind of nip and tuck throughout, and I think Duke's going to have to to pull some some work out on the defensive end to to make this one happen. So give me Duke 78 and give me Miami 70 on this one. Wow, that's a little closer, but I think you're right. I think uh, this we're going to need the leadership of Trey Jones in this one. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see, like you said, how Vernon responds to playing at home. Henry Duke in this one, though, I like the one scoring 71-62. I think we pull away, you know, right around that 10-minute mark in the second half and, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of get that, that multi-possession win. So uh, there we have it. Hey, I'm, I'm excited. Happy New Year, every, New Year to everybody. Thanks to DJ for coming on. We're ready for the ACC schedule now. Let's it's it. all there in front of us, AC. It's all there in yeah. front of us. Go Duke, let's get this stuff rolling. Go Duke. Thank you for tuning in to the 5 Point Play Podcast. Check us out at Instagram at 5 Point Play Podcast and on Twitter, 5 Point Play Podcast. Go Duke!